One of the challenges around looking at viable investment opportunities is particularly, obviously, when there needs to be work done on a building or maybe it's a piece of land and you're looking at it as a potential development, is knowing whether that's a, a viable project or not. And then finding the right people that are going to help you make that project a, a reality, that dream, and, and help you get through to the end and, and deliver what it is you expected and, and wanted at the end. So my guest today is Ona Jung, who's a, an architect and designer in Toronto. And we had an interesting uh, conversation around the kind of projects that they're involved in from a residential and commercial perspective. And, you know, what are the things that are happening in the marketplace, how it's changed and where it's probably even likely to change even more and, and the importance of working with somebody that, that understands that and has their finger on the pulse in terms of, which could be saving you a lot of time and, and angst than if you tried to do it yourself or, or went with uh, people that are not in the know. So I think you're going to find this an interesting uh, conversation. Enjoy and uh, have yourself a brandtastic day. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. Okay, welcome, Ona. Thank you for joining us today. So I think it'd be good to know kind of where you're coming from, because we, we certainly have never had an architect or designer on the show. And oh. I think, I think it'd be interesting for people to kind of have a little bit of an understanding, you know, what is it you do, what kind of projects you work on, and then we'll kind of get a little bit more into, you know, take it from there. Sure. You know, as you mentioned, I'm an architect, so job. That's what I do. So in terms of projects, I do actually both commercial and residential projects. And uh, I guess the, you know, those, those like commercial and residential projects that mostly was renovation one. And then I've done, I've done some feasibility studies. Like what that means is to sort of exactly what it says that potential clients sort of be interested and in what they wanted to do in terms of projects. So whether at the time that they are looking at the land, whether they are thinking about some kind of a building types. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to sort of talk to us and architects to sort of, it, at that stage, it's not so much as a design talk, but more about, you know, is this something that they should pursue? So it could be the regulations, are there any sort of uh, problems that I can think of? So it's just some long discussions about whether that they would actually want to go through the whole process. So, you know, over the years I've done that. Um, but the, in terms of, say, you know, residential project, I want to say mostly it's doing, um, the renovation of sometimes uh, townhouses mm -hmm. uh, or a single family, you know, type houses. And, and, and when you're doing residential renovations, how much do you get involved in kind of the, the whole project? I mean, do you start at the design stage and then somebody else takes over, or is it something that you're involved in all the way through the project? It's the smaller, the smaller the project, and my property involvement is longer. So it, there is like 
what they call a schematic design, design development, construction documents. And then the, after the construction documents, you submit the uh, drawings to the city and get the approval. And then there's this uh, another stage, which is the construction administration stage. So that's when the, you know, the builders are actually doing the, actually building it with the drawings that I provided. And sometimes there are clients, sort of what I call like the clients with that sort of expertise that they would, they do on their own. So maybe okay. they have team of people doing it. So when the is a sort of smaller scale, like single family, for instance, that they would want us to do myself to actually oversee the construction. So I've done that. So it, the, it's actually both. Right. And when you're, when you're looking at dealing with the city, I'd, you've been doing this for a number of years. So I'd imagine, and it's, it's Toronto that you're based in. I can, ima- <laughs> I can imagine things have changed so much. It, it does change. And I guess one more that I want I think about the football process is that it takes time. Like, I mean, I, and sometimes that there are things that they just want us to sort of keep updating. Or sometimes simply that I get the backdrop than what they have. So you just have to wait. But it, it's unreal that the amount of time that needs to, like, you need to wait. So, but I mean, with this like new like effort, like Bill 23, you know, then the well, Ontario government has provided. So I, I really wonder because I mean, the main focus, and I don't know how successful it might be at the end, but it's really about the speed part that they are trying to improve. Right. And so in that sense, I welcome it. But then there are whole other like a cloud in that. I just question it and I won't go into that. That's I could. Yeah, I can imagine it's easy for the provincial government to say speed things up. Yes. But Toronto still has to invest in either people that is or absolutely right. resources so, or technology to, to help it. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about housing, like things affordable housing, there's a sort of a approval process. There is a big plan to pay for this and all these things. And it's, it just, there are so many stakeholders and it is conflicting too. And everyone has a sort of different sort of focus. So how that it all is going to come, I mean, yeah, because I remember like even reading about one of the, one of the changes is that they are like getting rid of this developer's fees. And I was saying, wait, what? How are they going to provide all this infrastructure that they did it, right? And I remember thinking, it's really good for developers. I can see that. They, they would work on it, but is it realistic? I guess that's sort of what I was thinking. And there are like a whole bunch of set of like group of people who say, yes, or what have you. But I think it's going to be a really long time that people are doing or discussing about it and to actually have that. And, you know, the latest change is that green belt. What? That yeah. there's already a change, right? right. So it just, I, I mean, I think it, it is absolutely necessary. I'm definitely for the housing, increasing the housing stock. How it gets done is going to be the sort of big issue. Okay. And how important and necessary is it to have an architect involved in the design stage? Does, does it, I mean, I, I can imagine some people are looking at it and saying, oh, well, I'll just do my own designs. Or is that possible? Or is it something that has to be signed off by a professional? 
as a designer, I think that also, of course, you need architects and designers to do this work. There's something about this design that everyone thinks that they can do it. I mean, it's true. And to some extent, I understand why. Because it's not like a technical information where, like, like say, a structural engineer is coming up with the mass or calculation to come up with the beam size, right? So it isn't that. So because of it, so design is very subjective. So, oh, I can pick up that idea. And absolutely, you can do that. But with the sort of us who's been doing it, who's sort of experienced or going through all these like, difficulties or challenges along the way, we got few some lessons along the way. So in right. some ways that maybe people might think, oh, is this necessary? But I can tell you for sure that it's got to take ice and definitely save time. And so on some need that money and budget. And so I would absolutely recommend architects and designers, but of course I'm biased. <laughs> but but I, think, I think you make a very good point. It's, you know, they're not necessarily well, they're not. They're not just paying for the designs. They're paying That's for right. your. They're paying for your experience. They're paying for your anticipation of problems that will arise or could arise, and you're doing that ahead of time so that they don't run into those problems. Right. So, I mean, you know, you asked me before this this podcast the whether like people actually paid for the construction administration stage of work, like which is overseeing the construction, mm-hmm. and. There are definitely some clients who decide that they are going to do it on their own. Like say, it's a especially a single-family house. And I think that in the middle of during this construction, I got a calls like from the client saying that, oh, I don't think that my papers are reading exactly what's on that drawing. And I said, how do you know? I don't think it's the same size. Like, it doesn't look the same. Right? <laughs> so I started sort of just checking it and then skin to the, you know, the builders. And that that happens. Right. So in some ways that it's like making sure that type of uh, sort of unexpected things doesn't, like that's what you're paying for while having this people like me, you know, looking at the project and really just like making sure that everything gets done exactly it was intended. And sometimes that when it's not built properly and according to the drawing, city comes in and said, this is not the same information. What is it? Which one is correct? Right? So all those things can be prevented by someone that, you know, the architects, designers getting over the work from the beginning to the end. Right. And you mentioned commercial. So what type of commercial work are you doing? I do commercial like rent of the office, like office and med- that office means sometimes medical offices. Mm-hmm. It could be as a typical office as it could be the, like changing some like examining rooms or reception area. Or sometimes that it is a medical office, but that gets turned into a typical sort of a office setting. So I've done those too. Um, so American work is, I mean, it's typically, it's by the client or what is that say floors or the portion of the building. So that's sort of what I was limited to work on. Right. Okay. And and do you use or do you have teams of like renovators or builders that you recommend? Is that typically what happens or do you let the client find their own or do you help with the selection process? 
most questions that I get always from the clients, and I definitely have the the the, the renovator like a contractor or interest that I work with for sure. But there are some projects or clients came with their people, right? So depending on the size of that guess, project or the building type. What are you seeing now? Do you, I mean, you mentioned Build Bill 23. Are you starting to see more activity around people wanting to do work either on their existing buildings or whether they're trying to, and I guess the, you know, are people coming to you and saying, is this possible? And do you offer some kind of initial service that says, okay, I'll come take a look or I'll do some initial research prior to going all the way down the route of designs if it if it turns out that the piece of land is just not or the building is not feasible. Right. I mean, even before the I guess the Bill 23 or like all these housing talks that we get yet having, even like years ago, there were definitely some projects that the the client, the you know, I guess the builders wanted they were planning certain kind of project, and sometimes that these um, builders they bought the land already, and they're sort of planning a project. So that's when they contact me, and then you know they wanted me to like myself and the team of people to sort of look at them. What we call it, feasibility. Should we go through this project? Should we have the living type? What would be the uh, sort of approval? Process and typically the question always comes with like how long will it take. So I've done that type of a consulting work, and I, you know, certainly gave like my assessment, some information that I received from the city. So I share those information. So that type of a consulting service that I've done, and and there are times that that with my I guess assessment. And those projects never happen. So it is really bad for us. It's, you know, as architects, we always want to see the final outcome of act or building within certain locations, right? So it is sort of unfortunate that way, but I've done that and I'm finding that. And also I'm guessing that that type of work is going to be more going forward. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely, that was something I was going to ask, particularly again, you're in Toronto where, okay. you know, the average home is, I don't know what price the average home is, but it's well over it's a going towards like million. 2 million. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, for a real estate investor, I'm thinking, well, a $2 million single family home is not right. a cash flowing property. Well, at least exactly. I don't, I don't think it would be. So they, you know, they would probably want to see, okay, does, you know, is there a possibility that this could be made into a triplex or. Does it, you know, or if it's a single family home, does a garden suite or an ADU make sense? Right. And then they can start to think about, okay, yes. And then you've got two income producing properties on the same piece of land or, and, and similar thing, I think on the commercial side, I think you're right is I know I have a, a client and I know several people that are looking at that whole kind of commercial to residential That's right. conversion. But again, uh, you know, we were talking before we started and you mentioned that, you know, office buildings are built as office buildings. That's they're not, right. they're not built to easily switch over to a residential. So it has to be the right kind of building or the right kind of opportunity. Absolutely. So, yeah. I so mean, I guess one other thing that I kind of add to that is that 
like so many changes are happening and not just because of the pandemic, but because from that, there are many things that us like we sort of started to realize that was important and, you know, working from home is one, definitely. And people care about this sort of lifestyle choices or options that they care definitely much more. So all those things sort of make it that whole like home and office setting that's got to change also. So not only that, that, you know, these office buildings being empty, but because the way they want to use the office, the way they want to use the same homes are also changing too, so that I can see there's going to be some other changes because of it. And are you also seeing more interest and more demand in things like the environmental side of things where people are looking to to putting more environmentally or cost effective? Absolutely. I think that people are definitely more interested, more sophisticated about the information. Uh, definitely. And, you know, just to say that, you know, I also teach at OCAD, uh, these design students, and I see it a lot. And so when I think about it, these are the students who's going to go out and start working or potentially becoming a, a people in clients, right, to someone else. So these are the people that was going to make a difference. And, right. and I can definitely see that they care a lot more than, say, when I was a student or, you know. So right. they are like, the one who's going to drive this new mm. lifestyle, you know. That's, that's interesting because I was thinking, oh, well, it's the incentives because things like like CMHC, for example, with commercial buildings, if there is an X percentage environmental element to it, then you can get breaks on either rates yeah, or amortization. But I think you're right. It's it's going to be driven by the people that are. Absolutely. Yeah. Would, I mean, yeah, no, I yeah. know during the pandemic, suddenly I was getting calls like from potential clients or even past clients that they, they, were, they were like really interested in learning about the, like for instance, L part, uh, what they yep. can do. And it, it was a big story. Definitely yeah. less now, but it was something that they, they cared. Another, another aspect of it is that biophilic design. And that's about sort of the wellness, health, the, the environment that we live in. It could be a house, it could be an office, what have you. But we, we, care, we care much more about it. We're definitely much more aware of it too, the importance of it. And all these things sort of become, becoming like really, I mean, I don't want to use the word trends, but it, it's, it's almost like, you know, the necessary requirement that say the older generations haven't really thought too much about. And what about things like modular homes? And I, I was I was watching a video on Facebook just the other day. Mm-hmm. And it's actually it's actually that the Facebook group is like a local neighborhood group. But somebody mm-hmm. somebody had taken their drone and they'd filmed a neighbor having an extension added to the house. And this big crane turned up and literally lifted the whole modular piece right over the house, dropped it in the backyard, attached it to the house. And by the end of the day, it was framed. Well, it was already framed, but it was right, exactly. the roof The roof was on. It, you know, it was amazing. Right. And, you know, as an architect, I'm not supposed to like this, but I do. <laughs> I do because there's definitely benefits because it's built 
getting this other setting and like mm-hmm. literally, like you said, bring it. So it's much more controlled. Right. But of course, nothing ever gets written on like land or nothing, right? So that there is, it's never going to be like the way people think of a modular housing, meaning like you can just bring something like almost like a toy that you just stick it and then go. Oh, like right. it never works out that way at the job site. But the idea of a, in a really controlled environment to where the best way there is and bringing it, I think it's a great idea. Whether that works in a job site, I mean, I've seen some of those videos too, and I sort of question it. Another thing from sort of designer's perspective is that it tends to look the same. And I don't know, my past class, even myself, I don't know, I always want my sort of environment to be sort of about mine, not looking like any other housing or campsite, you know, there is that part. But I mean, I can definitely see the benefits and I think there will be more of it. As that, develop, as that technology develops too. But certainly it's going to reduce the construction time. For sure. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned about unique spaces because I think in certain cases, you know, real estate investors are, you know, if they're going to be at the higher end of the rental market. That's right. Differentiating themselves and differentiating the properties that they're renting. Right. Will, typ- will typically mean they can attract better tenants, higher paying tenants versus if you're just cookie cuttering. I mean, right. you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that end of the market either. Right. But I think if people are looking at, you know, either higher end or they're looking at properties that could potentially be like Airbnb type properties. Again, I mean, Airbnb preferences, right. experience in like unique spaces. And, but people are looking at that and even just to Go back to that one time when people use the words like, oh, I need to have a carrot. Like it's that one of those words that you don't know what that means. But definitely, like what people are talking about is something unique about their place, right? And that, I, I question it with the sort of modular housing, but right. even that's like sort of changing fast too. So that's sort of what I think of it. But I, I definitely see... And I can understand the many benefits for sure. So if, if a real estate investor were to, you know, reach out to somebody like yourself, what are the kind of key things that you would want to know from a real estate investor? You know, what are the first two or three things that you would want to, to understand about a particular project Uh, or something? I, I realize it depends, you know, what type of project and everything else, but you know, there's probably some key things that you want people to understand first. I mean, just to sort of think about my past experiences that when, when clients are sort of so-called furious about the project, and I don't mean that as a financial sort of uh, implication. I mean, as in, let's just say they don't even have the land, but they are, they are looking at a certain area. And they have a lot of information. Or, so when you're talking to them, you can just tell that they're interested in the possibility of a project. Even just talking about the sort of area, the man, the, the, the amount of research they've done. So right. I can sense that. Whereas if the, the another client who sort of says, well, I'm thinking of you know, building a, the apartment unit that's about, I don't know, let's just say 200 something units. 
Right. And then, and then my next question is where? And they haven't thought about that. Right. And then, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a really extreme example, but it's, but it, it really happens. And you can just tell that it's not serious part or at least they haven't really thought about it. It's almost like they're sort of trying to find out how much I can do. But the problem is they themselves haven't really thought about the project. So that conversation isn't very helpful for me and for them. Also. Right. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Yes. Okay. A couple of questions I like to ask guests before we kind of let people yeah. know where they can find out more about me. <laughs> Who is a favorite personal brand, an individual, and, and why? You know, I thought about it and I thought about it in this like, so we are in the angle. And I mean, not just the uh, just podcast, but this person, she's one of the uh, sharks on TV, the Barbara Corcoran. Yep. Yeah. Actually, before she was even on that show, I actually read about her and, and, you know, the fact that I lived in New York City and I recognized her sort of freshness, like being a New Yorker. And yep. I totally relate to it. And I remember her story, like how she started her real estate business with thousand dollars. I don't know, like maybe <laughs> not seventy or something in New York City with her boyfriend. Yeah, and and then they broke up a couple of years later, and I guess yeah. she bought the interest. So she continued that business, and then she ended up selling it for sixty-six million dollars, and some I don't know how many years later, but. The way she makes it is so, because she, I read it that she has some running disability, some difficulties. And I just really liked it, like open, sort of genuine and brashness about it, that I, I just find the story to be very honest. And yeah. I enjoyed reading that article. And that's how I get to learn about her. Yeah, I, I, I agree. She's brash but then underneath i see her caring yes you, i do too you look at the companies i mean she's really big on investing in food companies it seems at least oh, on okay. shark on shark tank she's invested in right. several she really cares about the entrepreneurs that are running the business and what they're delivering in terms of a product or a service and yeah so she has that kind of yin and yang i guess <laughs> and i remember like she's like some, I don't know, podcast that she said that she hired her uh, another like partner and who is supposedly the opposite. And mm. she, she made that decision where she saw this woman carrying this wallet with the like, like with the compartment, because you're in different compartments. When she, when this person opened it with the, to take out the business card and this Barbara, she actually saw it and said, oh my God, I need that person. Because she heard some say, I guess she thinks herself as disorganized. And so with that decision, she just sort of made it. And she, this other person was a partner with her for like years and years then. And just like, wow, you can make a decision that quickly and that decisive. And obviously she hasn't even changed that. So it was the right decision, right? So all those things, I think that, I think she's, she's great. Uh, What about a, a favorite business book or podcast? The favorite book is the just eighty twenty principle by I think he hit the English. Coach. That's right, Richard Koch. And I somebody gave it to me to read it because I need to understand business. But that it's not about business. At least the section that I read, 
it was about this sort of life and how how do you look at your life and thus it was really to the point and I think it it comes from that sort of that English sort of directness that I saw in you writing style that I really liked and um, the podcast was it's called the a life change of plan by yeah. this person named Maya Shankar okay. and she's a psychiatrist okay so. So I'm thinking like, what's the connection, right? That it was that 80-20. First that she had the music voice. I think that's important. And the music is great. And the question that she asked is just, it has that storytelling way. Like it's so interesting and I can relate to. But these like, guests have all these amazing or amazingly difficult experiences. And somehow sort of, I can relate to some of the parts of it. And I just, I love it, especially when I go out and just listen and she has this amazing voice. I didn't think that I would like podcasts because of the way they sound, but I do actually. I learned that while I started. (laughs) And do you have a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using? This is probably not even the new, but I, I love using my iPad pencil. I know it, it's pretty old, but it's just because I do a lot of red line for drawings, right? right. Yep. So in the old times, you actually literally use the red line like with a pen and you have to scan and send it. But with this, you can just literally do it on the screen. But of course, I mean, people have been doing this for a long time. I'm just like sort of the slow. Yeah. I don't have one yet, so it's okay. You're ahead of me. <laughs> And uh, a favorite quote that inspires you or motivates you? Because mm. I'm so impatient in general. What is that? It's really showing to trust the trust. I have such a hard time doing it. I guess so. It's not so much today, right? But more like my, my sort of mantra that I should follow. <laughs> I was going to say, you probably think it to your clients all the time. That's probably <laughs> trust the process. It's it's going to take 12 months before we get an answer. Trust the process. So. And, and I don't where, think I'm going to be able to keep the process. And where can people find out more about you, Ola? What's the best place to find you? I have just two places. First one is my company, studiojona.com, www.studiojona.com, J-O-N-A-H.com. And the other one is just my name, onajong.com. And that's a blog where I sort of, make observations and whatever things that comes to my head. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a design, sometimes some weird things that I notice. So nice. it's, it's, the, it's written in a sort of very informal way. Okay, great. We'll make sure that is in the show notes. And, yeah. and it's been great catching up with you and, and hearing your insights today. And uh, thank you and have yourself a brandtastic day. Thank you. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.